this is this is the last um, portion of the Old Testament, and so let me just recap very quickly. Um, I should wrote that later, but let's see. Recap really quickly what we kind of talked about. So I always see things in timeline form, so it helps me to get my bearings right. So here's creation. <coughs> this isn't obviously to proper proportions of the fall. Um, here's, I'm going to skip a few things, let's say Abraham. Here's Moses. <laughs> I'm going to stretch it out too much. Um, and then um, we talked about how um, creation uh, there was Adam, Eve, Eden, right? Uh, how Eden was supposed to be a blessing to the world. They failed because of sin. So there's the fall. And then there's Abraham, right? So God still, God uh, still um, essentially loves his image bearers, loves uh, his creation. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to um, give you land. I'm going to um, make a great name um, for you. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the world, right? So we have the covenant. So this is, I think Genesis 12 was the covenant. Moses, um, so the story of Genesis, you know, we, we know they're, they, um, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Esau, and then through Jacob, um, I, I mean, through, um, um, yeah, Jacob, there's, there's, uh, Joseph, right? The story of Joseph it goes all the way throughout Genesis. And then, um, we're at Moses, right? Moses gives the law. This is uh, Exodus. Exodus. Um, so remember, God rescues the people out of Egypt, and then he gives them the law, right? So that's very important to understand. He says, this is how you're to live as my covenant people. And so he gives them the law. So obey, you'll be blessed. Uh, disobey, and you'll be cursed, right? And then he says... Um, Moses uh, basically carries the people all the way out through the wilderness and um, they're working their way towards the promised land, right? So promised land's over here. PL. And then Moses dies before entering the promised land. Right? So, oh man, that sucks. Like just at the brink of, at the edge of Canaan. Um, he doesn't even get to enter. And then here's Joshua. And then we have the story of staying in the land, keeping covenant with uh, Yahweh. Um and so we're kind of in this time period, right? Um, and so if you look, the, let's see, um, the prophets are kind of, um, they prophesied during this time of um, the division between Israel um, and Judah, right? So Israel used to be a united monarchy. So the dates are pretty up here. It's like 1,000, 1,100 BC or something. And then soon after it was divided, right? It divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Right? And so, it's during this time that the the prophets exist and are... Not that they didn't exist beforehand, but just what we have uh, records of. This is what they're... they're um, they're, When they're prophesying. So here's... Here's... Christ. And then exile, right. something like that, right? Is King David in the top part? Yes. Yeah. 
this is this is like the golden age of Israel. This is when everything was um, prosperous, and this was the best point. This was like, oh, uh, this might be it, right? This this is this might be the kingdom that blesses the world, um, because if you look at Genesis twelve. If you look down in the covenant section, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house um, to the land which I will show you. So he's promising him land. And I will make you a great nation. So a lot of people, right? Um, and I will bless you and you make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the, curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? So we see that there's a partial fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That, okay, now they, they are in the land. Um, they are a great nation now. But are they going to bless the world, right? Um, so this last line is is key to understanding kingdom and what the storyline of the Bible is, right? So this is the King David's up here, and they're about to bless the world. They might do it. They might do it. But what happens? King David sins, right? And then this happens. He has Solomon. Solomon is a wise man. But also he ultimately doesn't follow his own wisdom, and he sins, and so the kingdom divided, and so slowly decays. Right, so it peaks, it goes peaks up uh, from fall to David. It's looking good. It's looking good. It's looking better. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and then there's Christ up here, right? Which kind of these prophets point to? Okay. So that's kind of the quick backstory of what's going on, the timeline of history and creation, right? Um, okay, so really quickly, the difference between the major and minor prophets, it's not importance, but it's really the length, right? So Hosea to uh, Malachi, uh, call, they're called the Book of the Twelve, and um, they're no less important than the major prophets. It's just that these books are a lot shorter and more condensed, Um so the main theme of the prophets is sin, judgment, and restoration, right? Or a lawsuit, a woe, and promise, right? Kind of the same things. Um, and these are kind of the unifying themes of all 12 books. And so if you read any of the books, you'll kind of see that pattern of like, okay, um, the prophets are calling out the sins of Israel. They warn Israel of impending judgment uh, for their unfaithfulness. And then they call Israel back to faithfulness. Um, and then ultimately there's the promise of hope. There's a promise of blessing if, um, if you're repentant, if you turn back to, uh, turn back to God, right? Alright. So let's see here. <clears throat> Alright, so the difference between, uh, prophet and priest. Does anybody wanna try to guess or know? So this is kind of the roles, right? So I mean, the, kind of the offices of, um, in general, if we could sum up the offices of the New Testament are prophet, priest, and king. Right? Um, and the priests were, they made sacrifices on behalf of the people. Remember, they, they did all the, the clean laws and they uh, sacrificed animals for the sins of the people, uh, killed the, um, um, the sacrifices on the altar. Um, and so it represents the people uh, t- uh, talking to God, and then God. So the uh, the priest, interestingly, is uh, uh, they come from a line of the Levites, right? So basically, we have to be born into this line of the priest. But the prophets, they're just kind of whoever, 
God calls whoever, right? There's just kind of these, um, it could be anybody, basically, right? Um, God calls these prophets uh, so that they can speak on behalf of him to the people. And in general, prophets were um, called covenant prosecutors. They says, oh, you guys have messed up. You guys need to turn back to God. Um, otherwise, there's judgment. Right? And so prophets speak on behalf of God to the people. Cool? You guys have any questions so far? Shake floor. All right. So really quickly, let's run through um, these main themes of covenant, the day of the Lord, and future promises of salvation. These are all kind of overlapping themes because like, ultimately everything is under the covenant, right? And so this is why understanding covenant is very important. Um, so Israel is God's covenant people who are saved by faith, right? We see that in Genesis fifteen six, where Abraham believed in the promises of God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk 2.4 says um, that, um, that, yeah, that you're basically saved by faith, right? But the covenant, um, that's, that's a covenant, right? But uh, they're also called to live as people in a covenant relationship with God set apart from the rest of the world. And so that's why there was circumcision. That's why there was um, um, all these laws and, and clean laws, these dietary laws and um, sacrificial laws. It's to distinguish them from these pagan nations, right? To say that these people are God's people, right? Not the circumcised people. Um, now it's baptism for us, right? So we talked about Genesis 12 and how um, there's these promises of land, a great nation, and blessing to the rest of the world. Second Samuel 7, 6, 7, 16 is um, the Davidic covenant. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So he's saying, he's telling David, your kingdom is going to last forever. There's going to be a king that's going to reign forever. Your throne will be forever. But what happened, right? It, it seems like it's going, it's, it's pretty shot that David sins, Solomon sins, and the kingdom just goes down the toilet, right? But the covenant is one way. It says that God is going to establish this throne forever. So there's hope, right? People just don't know what's going on right now. Um, and then Exodus 24, 7 um, was the Mosaic, kind of the Mosaic covenant and how the law was given. Um, here's Moses. Then he took the book of the covenant, which is the law, and read it in hearing of the people. And they said, this is the people talking. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So imagine that. Imagine like being being uh, just saved and you're given the law. You're like, oh God, I will follow you wherever, right? I'll follow you. I will obey everything you say. What happens two weeks later? Oh, you sin, right? You get, Let's be generous to say, oh, what happens two months later? You're going to fall. What happens a couple years later? You just begin to lose faith. You begin to lose trust in God. Um, circumstances come, and you grumble, you complain. And this is so true of all of us, right? And this is this is the nature of the fall. This is what happened to us, right? Sin ruined all of us. Sin ruined God's people. And even now, this is for us, right? Like, we'll recommit. We'll go to, like... For example, go to church camp or something, or have have uh, praise nights or whatever, and you'll recommit yourself. You recommit yourself. What happens? Like three weeks later, like this, it's so sad, right? I mean, we all we've all been through this before, um, and so this is sin, right? This is this is ultimately our our hearts. We we grow cold to the things of God, and that's why we come to church. That's why we we try to um, um, stay in community so that we encourage one another, right? And so so it's a obvious picture of, of sin right here. It's, oh, God, 
God, we're going to do everything you say, right? Everything that you have spoken, we will do. We'll be obedient. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then that's not long after. Um, they just, just grumble, they complain, and um, it's a big mess, basically, right? So this is kind of the picture of... Just realize I don't have my Bible. Um, this is a big picture of the Bible, right? Um, so this Israel as unfaithful covenant breakers. Um, and so the, the prophets are saying that you guys... You guys messed up. You guys, oh, you guys are so sinful, right? Um, Amos seven seventy nine. Uh, Chelsea, can you read that for us? This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Yeah. So God is saying here that um, God is saying that uh, He's standing on a wall built with a plumb line, and He says that you guys don't measure up, right? And so if you if you know what a plumb line is, I just have to kind of look this up, right? It has this like pointy thing and it's it's basically a string right you hang it from the wall from the ceiling and then it it it's straight it's perfectly straight right because uh, it's gravity right and then um a lot of contractors and um before they had those laser line uh, measurements and kind of levels they had this plumb line this plumb line shows you how to build a building straight and god is saying here that your walls are built are jacked up right so maybe they're like this or something this is exaggeration right so your walls are all jacked up. Your, your, it's not built on solid foundation. It's not built correctly. And he says because of that, um, he's he says I will never again pass by them. Um, the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So he's going to judge these people. He's going to judge his own people. Right? Hosea went to Kim. Can you read that for us? Yep. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Yeah, it's really explicit, right? He says, you guys are you guys are whores, basically, right? He says, you guys have cheated on me. You guys love those other gods. You guys have done all these things. You have disobeyed me. And what are you guys doing? You know, I love you. I, I promise to be with you guys forever. And what are you guys doing? You guys are cheating on me. You guys are whores. You guys are just going after other gods. Right? And that's so explicit. It's, it's really scary. Right? Um, other sins of Is, um, Israel, uh, they, they were all over the place. Besides idolatry, um, they stole, they covet, they, um, they, uh, they uh, exploited the poor. Um, so, I mean, we'll see in a second that um, a lot of the books talk about social injustice and how how these people exploit people for their own gain and how that's so evil, right? So, so we see that Israel is unfaithful. They're covenant breakers. They're um, whores, right? Um, and then, so let's talk about the day of the Lord really quickly. Uh, the day of the Lord is kind of a scary thing but it's also a comforting thing right um, it talks about judgment that comes for the unrepentant um, but it also talks about salvation that comes for a faithful remnant right and so the day of the lord is a terrible terrible time 
for those that are not, um, for the wicked, for those that are not um, trusting in God. Um, Joel one fifteen, Chow. Can you read that for us? Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Thanks. Uh, Tracy, can you read Joel 12, 2? The whole thing? Uh, sure. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will they be again, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yeah. So this is very vivid of coming judgment, that it's going to be a dark time for those that... Um, that are against God, right? And so we see, so we see that nobody escapes it, right? For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it, right? Nobody is, nobody is um, immune to what's coming, right? Um, let me see. Okay, Amos five. Can you read that for us, uh, Roxanne? I like this one. Yeah, this is pretty good because because Amos here is talking to Israel. He's talking to God's people. He's saying, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So God's people were saying, oh, that's, I can't wait for the day of the Lord because he's going to judge all the bad guys, right? And then Amos is saying like, well, what? what? You guys are the ones that are unfaithful, right? He says, why would you have the day of the Lord? He says, the day of the Lord is against you guys, right? He says, it is dark, it's not light. And so, so... He's, he's basically getting to the bottom of um, their unfaithfulness. He, he sees that it's not just being part of God's people um, doesn't make you um, free to do whatever. And that's what Israel was doing, essentially. They said, oh, we have Yahweh. We have, we have God on our side. And so they're just doing whatever. Um, and he's saying, like, he's saying, like, no, it's, it's for everybody, right? You guys aren't immune because I have chosen Israel. It's, this is for everybody, including you guys, right? Um, it's just a, it's, I like this imagery as, as if a man fled from a lion to running from a lion I don't, uh, we'll draw it because it's cool to draw right so here's a lion right oh I'm running from this lion this way and then he sees a bear oh man that's crazy this is a bear right here right it's not a teddy bear, it's scary. It's, it's like, oh man, I'm stuck. So let me run to my house. Oh man, I'm so tired. Let me lean on the wall. Oh, I'm happy now. Just kidding, there's a snake. It's gonna bite your hand. What? That's crazy. Right? 
So, so there's no escaping. There's no escaping the day of the Lord. It's coming. There's no hiding. Everybody, everybody is going to face the day of the Lord, one way or the other. Um, and he's basically trying to get people to see that you guys are unfaithful. You guys don't trust God, right? So it's very, um, yes, yeah, important to understand that this is for everybody, right? Okay, turn the page. Uh, future promises of salvation. Salvation through the Messiah comes for a faithful remnant. Um, let me just pick a couple passages here. Uh, uh, let me just uh, look at Micah 5, 1, 4. Just look at the highlight. It says, From you, uh, but you, O Bethlehem, <laughs> you who are too little to be among uh, the clans of Judah. So Bethlehem um, is where... Um, um, where Jesus is going to be born, right? Uh, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so he's saying, oh, wait, there's, there's, uh, there's somebody coming that's going to save you because even King David can't save you. None of your rulers, none of your judges are able to save you. They all have sinned. And so there's this one who is going to be a ruler in Israel. And he shall be great to the ends of the earth, right? And so this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a king that's going to rule the entire earth, that's going to bring, bring blessing to the entire earth. And he says this is going to happen with Jesus. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, Joel 2, uh, at the bottom, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So he's talking about a future time. He's saying that you'll never be, be put to shame again. You won't be cast out. You won't... Um, foreign countries aren't going to dispel you from your country and you won't be exiled, right? And this is important, like, God's going to be there. He says, I will be in your midst. And so, um, so it's always, God's people. So the kingdom of God is always God in the, uh, God in, in the presence of God's people. And they're together, right? But we see that God is always separate from people in, in Bible times, right? Um, that this was God, this was people. Um, and because of people's sin, they were separate. And that's why they had temples, right? So we just put temple. Temple, tabernacle. That's why they needed priests to mediate between God and people because people were so sinful. Right? And so now, this is what they're looking for. This is what... The kingdom is going towards God and God's people, ruling together, <coughs> blessing the world together. Um, uh, Zechariah 3, 8 to 9. Um, look at the bowl. I will bring my servant the branch. The branch is the branch man, which is Jesus. Um, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. So it's, it's talking about uh, the cross, when Christ, when Christ dies, when Jesus dies, then the iniquity of this land is taken up, right? And then uh, he's going to, and the Lord will be king over all the earth on that day. The Lord will be one and his name one. So this is what we're all trending towards, okay? So that's kind of the overarching theme of the minor prophets and kind of what we're getting at. This is the goal. The goal is to be with God, God's people with God, being um, having this rule over the earth. Um, so let's take a couple minutes to just go over. I know this, there's a lot of notes, but we won't we won't uh, spend too much time on this. Hopefully, um, we have a few minutes.
So we'll go through uh, each of these books here. Hosea is, we know Hosea, Hosea and Gomer. Hosea is a prophet and God calls um, Hosea to um, to marry essentially a prostitute, which is Gomer. And so the the picture is that, um, is that it kind of shows God's, um, God's relationship with his covenant people, right? Kind of like what we talked about at first. We see, see God, his people, and he wants to love his people, but his people are going somewhere else. Idols. So very similar. So this is, um, Hosea is kind of reenacting this. He's not God, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Hosea, Gomer, um, other men, other <laughs> men. So has so he husband to wife that she's still sleeping around, and she has kids. She has kids with uh, with other people while they're still together, right? So this is kind of I know this is super messy. This is kind of like the, us. Um. <laughs> oh no no God God us and then we're looking for other things right it's a picture of us basically right. so Hosea and Gomer is a picture of us uh, Chewie can you read Hosea 3 for us and the Lord said to me go again love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I brought her, so I <coughs> bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer, and a lethech of barley, and I said to her, "You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you." Yeah. So it's a very vivid, vivid picture of God and Israel and how they're unfaithful to God. Um, Joel focuses on the impending day of the Lord. So this is a big theme for Joel. Um, this is a frightening and terrible day of judgment for the wicked, but an awesome and comforting day of salvation for the faithful. We kind of talked about that, right? And uh, this passage is famous um, because um, um, Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts 2, and he quotes Joel as his prophecy. Um, and so he says that... Um, uh, let's just read it. Uh, Ash, can you read Joel 2 for us? And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters <coughs> shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and calm and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, so we see that this is partially fulfilled, right? So um, the Spirit came at Pentecost, and people begin to prophesy. They begin to um, they begin to speak in tongues, right? And so, so this is happening now. The Spirit has come, um, and it says, "Then the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood." So, um, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and so it hasn't fully come yet. The the, the day of the Lord hasn't fully come yet, um, but it's coming, right? So, so this happened. This happened in Acts two, uh, exactly as prophesied. Um, let's just run through this quickly Amos um, Amos calls out Israel's immorality religious apostasy and social injustice so Amos is really uh, the distinctive nature of Amos is that it talks a lot 
talks about uh, social injustice, right? And so Martin Luther King um, liked to go to Amos because there was so much social injustice. Um, he, I think he quotes, he quotes a lot of it, but one of his famous ones was um, Amos 5, 24. Uh, let's see, let's just read 7, verse 7 and verse uh, 24. Can you read that for us, uh, Priscilla? Yeah, 7 and 24. Yeah, so wormwood is this bitter poison, uh, bitter plant. It's used to make alcohol and stuff, but it's also kind of re- in reference to poison, right? Um, and so these people, God's people, they they turn justice, something that's supposed to be good, into poison, right? They um, and they and they hate righteousness, right? And then. Verse 24 is kind of um, reverses that. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Um, and if you look at kind of the verses in between, it says you trample on the poor, on the poor and you exact taxes of grain for them. Um, and then verse 21, 22, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. So God's people are are um, coming together. They're worshiping and they're offering sacrifices, but they lack they lack justice. And so God says, "None of your worship matters. None of your worship matters." He says, "I hate them, right? Because they're not they're um, because they're taking advantage of the poor. They're exploiting the poor, and they have no sense of um, justice, right? And so we see in Amos that true faith and social justice go hand in hand." Right, so you can't have one without the other, um, but you can't separate these two things and think it's a gospel either, right? Which, which uh, becomes through this debate of liberal theology and stuff, right? So, but uh, we see that um, this is why mercy ministry is so important. This is why uh, we try to um, emphasize the importance of loving the poor. Of um, it's not just a matter of like criminal justice or whatever, but it's about things that are wrong in the system and how we are to work towards that good. We need to um, work towards the betterment of uh, society, of humanity, and this is something we should strive to be. We're not just uh, in our own little uh, circles, own little church circles, doing nothing about the world, right? We're supposed to care for the poor. We're supposed to care for justice, right? Cool. Um, Obadiah, shortest book of the Bible. It's like two pages. Um, and it basically is a prophecy of judgment against the pagan nation of Edom, but more generally, it's against those all nations that are against God. Um, and so it's it kind of uh, just includes everybody. It says, "You guys, you guys are against me. I'm going to be against you." Essentially, uh, Jonah. We have the story of Jonah. We are, we're all pretty familiar. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, and it's quoted in Matthew twelve forty. Um, not quoted, but but. Um, Jonah's reference in Matthew twelve forty that just as just as uh, Jonah was in um, three nights in the belly of the sea monster, the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Right, um, and we've heard plenty of sermons on Jonah before, right? Um, but um, I would say a good distinctive of Jonah is also uh, that God is merciful and gracious to all who repent and trust Him, both Jews and Gentiles. Right, uh, God shows no partiality, and we see that. Um, what the whole story of Jonah was that God says, "Okay, God, how is he God?" God says to Jonah, "Go and preach uh, to Nineveh, 
of an impending judgment unless they re- uh, repent and turn to God. And Jonah's like, what, those people? They're not our people, right? I hate them. Let me go this way. Away, away from the people that aren't mine. So we have Jews, Gentiles, right? Um, and Jonah had this attitude of like, this is only, we are your people. These people aren't your people. And so he runs away. And God's like, okay, no, that's not right. Right? So eventually, so the Jonah, uh, the whale swallows Jonah, the big fish. And then Jonah said, okay. So he goes to Nineveh. And he, uh, he, he prophesies. He says, repent. God is, God is coming. And Nineveh repents. And what is, what does he do? This is his reaction right here. Jonah 3.10. Uh, Rochelle, can you read this for us? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said yeah. he would do to them. Mm-hmm. And he did not do it. Keep going? Yeah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I have made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting unto them. Yeah. So Jonah's like, how dare you save them? How dare you save them? And God's like, I didn't have to save you. You know, like you, you earn nothing. You deserve nothing but death. And how can you say that other people are not worthy of my love? Right? And so, I mean, so these, uh, each book is distinct in that it shows more of the character of God. It shows that He cares for, um, um, He cares about injustice. He cares that, He cares not just for the Jews, but He cares for Gentiles. He cares for everybody. Right? And so, as we read these things, this is what we this is what um, we should be grabbing from it—not just kind of the overarching themes of this, but um, just little nuggets of like who God is. It kind of shows who God is, and we're like, "Oh man, God is so good. He loves us." So that's right. Um, you guys have any thoughts or questions so far? We'll finish up these in the next couple of minutes. Uh, let's see, Micah. Micah calls out uh, signs, the sins of Israel. Also, corrupt um, civil and religious leadership. Again, social injustice. Um, and Micah 6, 8, like, uh, the few verses that um, precede this is, is asking, oh, what does the Lord require? Does the Lord require burnt offerings? My firstborn son. And Micah, Micah says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so he, he basically breaks it down and sums up the Christian life, right? Um, and this is a response to us as we understand the gospel. As you understand God's love, we were going to do justice, right? Do justice. Love mercy. Love kindness and mercy. And we see this in the New Testament a lot, right? Everything is about love, right? It says, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Everything boils down to these two commandments. Love, right? Um, and we have do justice, which is the same thing, right? It kind of encapsulates that, and and then uh, faithfulness or faithfulness. Walk humbly with your God, right? And so this is the Christian life. Um, he sums it up right here. Um, Nahum, Nahum, it just shows that God is both just and good. He's he's both wrathful and he's loving. He hates sin, 
And that's why we see, um, a lot of times we see in the Old Testament, we think of God as this wrathful God. He hates everything, right? But he's just, um, it's to show that God is really, really against sin, against people that um, are, that don't understand what holiness is and goodness is. Um, anybody who is against God is essentially rebellion, uh, rebellious towards God. And he says, I hate sin. Right? He's, he hates sin because he wants to um, protect um, kind of the, um, I would say the his faithful remnant, right? That there should be no evil within um, his people. Right? And so that's why he's so angry that a little, a little bit of dirt is going to ruin the whole thing. And so he cannot have sin. Um, Habakkuk. This is a story of, this is uh, Judah being judged by the coming of, um, so Ju- so Habakkuk is saying like, oh man, Judah is evil. They're in moral decay. And God, and he's, Habakkuk is saying, God, what are you going to do about it? And God says, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm coming. The, I'm going to judge them with the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk says, what? They're even more evil. Like, why would you take an evil people to judge, a more evil people to judge evil people, right? And he's confused. And so he's asking God, what is going on? He's trying to tell God how to run the show. Um, and then Habakkuk 3, 7 to 19, he says, he ultimately comes to understanding that he's going to trust God, no matter what the circumstances are. Right? He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the dares. He makes me tread on my high places and so he's so Habakkuk is a changed man at the end of, this, of these cap, couple chapters right he says God what are you doing no you shouldn't do that but then he eventually says okay your ways are right your ways are good even though I don't understand them I'm going to trust you that's Habakkuk um, Zephaniah is very close to kind of a um, a lot very similar to just uh, sin sin judgment and uh a calling back, right? Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. I think that's where the song comes from, right? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And so we see so much wrath. We see so much um, hatred for sin. Yet he says, for this faithful remnant, he says, I'm going to be there for you guys. I'm going to love you guys. I'm going to rejoice over you with gladness. And he's going to sing over you, right? And so this is this is how good God is. He's not just this hateful God, but he loves right Haggai Zechariah and Malachi they're both um, they both prophesy at the end of after at the, um, after the um, Israel and Judah they're exiled right and so they're calling back they said build the temple right um, God's people are called to rebuild and restore the temple uh, God longs to be with his people and his people long to be in his presence kind of that circle we talked about before right um, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts right so it's not just talking about the rebuilt kingdom, because that didn't happen. Um, it was a sad, it's a really sad. When they were trying, when they came back from exile, um, they were trying to rebuild the temple because they thought that's what's going to happen. Like, oh, God's going to bless us again, right? But it didn't happen. It was really sad, and so this points to a future time. Uh, Zechariah, same thing. Um, it was during this time that they were discouraged by kind of the sad state of affairs, um, but God promises restoration and renewal to His people that will come through a Davidic ruler. Um, and Malachi, Malachi calls out Israel's half-hearted worship. So they weren't, perhaps they weren't blatant idolatrous, um, but they were uh, idolaters, but they were very complacent in their worship. Um, they were really, um, 
just whatever about the worship. And, and Malachi says, what are you guys doing? <laughs> remember, remember this covenant uh, that God has with you and remember that the coming day of the Lord is coming. And he, this is the last book of the Old Testament and he points to Christ, right? Behold, I will send you Elijah, which is John the Baptist, we see, we'll find out, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he's pointing forward to Jesus. So so with, between this exile and Christ, we have like, it's about 400 years of silence. And this is kind of the intertestamental period um, of the Bible. So there's Old, Old Testament here. And then here's NT, right? So when you understand this kind of storyline of the Bible, if you, when you understand covenant and how God is so passionate for his people, even though they're unfaithful to him, it points to, and all the, all the kings, all the rulers, they failed at what they were called to do, right? Uh, to be a blessing to the earth. It points to a greater king, a greater, um, prophet, priest, king, that's ultimately in Christ. And so this is why the Old Testament is so beautiful. Right, this is how we can understand the stories in the Old Testament. It's showing the story of Israel and how broken they were and how much they couldn't save themselves, right? And so we see that Israel is kind of a re-dramatization of Eden, right? Where Eden failed, um, where Adam failed. So here's Adam, Eden, Israel, um, land, right? Promised land. So it kind of echoes, it's an echo of Eden. And it's to show Israel that they couldn't do it. It's to teach Israel that they were sinful, right? Adam couldn't do it. Israel can't do it. And then now we have um, Christ. And uh, um, what is it? Kind of the uh, projecting forward to the new Jerusalem. Right? And so this is why this is why the Old Testament exists is to show that they couldn't do it, is to show the uh, show their sins, and that ultimately this is where we're at right now, right? This is amazing because we get to see this full picture, we get to see this full story, and we're over here, and Christ is going to come any time. So we're this church age, and we're supposed to be a blessing to the world, right? And then Matthew twenty says we're to make disciples, and to um, um and to preach like to the ends of the earth, right? And so this is our call. When this happens, then Christ will return. And everything will be made new. And we're going to be living in this new Jerusalem, which is super exciting, right? And so right now, we're just kind of, we forget a lot of these things. And we're kind of like, oh, yeah, awesome, grace, I'm saved. And then we do nothing about it, right? And so the idea is that we should understand the story so that we live lives that are, are um, in, we live right lives in this covenant relationship, right? And so... We're still in covenant, and this is what the story of the Bible is, right? So, is there any thoughts or questions before we pray? Yeah, yeah uh, So, the last few prophets that we just went over, did they fit in in the timeline before the exile or during? The last three are after the exile, so and so they're being called back. So, um, after they're exiled in 586, then um, I think it was the Persians, they said, okay, you guys can come back and do your thing in Jerusalem. And so, they're, so when they're back in Jerusalem, they're... They're called to rebuild the temple, essentially, uh, so that God can be present with them. That's how that's how they did things before. But it's under the rule of like another. Yeah, okay. which is sad. Right. They're they're not their own anymore. Still, yeah. yeah. Okay. So.
Cool. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of the Bible. We thank you for these truths. Um, we thank you that um, for for brains where we can study um, and just understand more of your storyline and and kind of um, the progressive revealing of the gospel that everything points to you, points to Jesus, um, that you love us despite who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we understand what that really means so that we can be filled with love and passion for you, that we would um, just do your will and that we would understand what it means to live um, as um, in the covenant with you, God. And so uh, we thank you so much for Jesus, for saving us, for the gospel. Uh, thank you for this time of worship that we're about to uh, enjoy together. Uh, may our hearts be filled with gladness and joy, and um, may we re- rejoice knowing who we are as your sons and daughters. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you guys.